Hey guys, and welcome. I'm Life Coach Meg Ellis. It's time for you to stop coasting through life, and it's time for you to find your purpose. It's time for you to create your fate. Hey guys, I am back here with one of my favorite guests ever. Dr. Susan is back. So happy to have you on the show again. I'm so excited to be invited back. I keep wondering why you keep inviting me back, but it's great (laughs) to be here. We always have such great conversations. If you missed the first episode, I think it was episode four, like back in the very beginning. Mm. Crazy. Um, But Dr. Susan is a gynecologist here in Houston. She specializes in midlife wellness for women, especially hormonal and sexual relation well wellness and oh my gosh your complete midlife wellness center that's been open for how long now it's about 18 months now that's crazy it's beautiful in there the most stunning gynecology office that you will ever go to it's beautiful pink gold all the things yeah well I figure you have to spend most of your day there so we wanted to make it pretty it's gorgeous I still love that bathroom it's my favorite part but uh, Dr. Susan is actually a life coach as well. She's an Enneagram 8. She's well-versed in Enneagram. She's actually my life coach. So I know I'm super grateful for her. And she always has so much to offer. So I'm super excited that you get to offer your wisdom to the listeners again. I can't wait. We're and, talking about my favorite subject. Yes. And, and what would that be? Uh, sex. You're, I like to talk about sex. You're the a lot. expert in it. <laughs> you have a book. Tell me about your book. Tell everybody about it. So I wrote a book. It was published a couple years ago now called Sexually Woke. Um, and the title came up because I, through my own experience, uh, interviewed thousands of women uh, through my job as a gynecologist and found a small group of women who had a really great relationship with sex. And at the time I didn't, and I wanted to know what they knew. So I interviewed them in detail and long story short, came up with the book, Sexually Woke, which talks all about some of the stuff we're going to talk about today about why we become repressed around sex and why the majority of us are living in a less than ideal a sexual relationship with ourselves or a mm-hmm. partner if we have one. And then also how we can change that because being sexually woke is actually something you can learn. And I learned it. That's so amazing. I'm happy to be I, part I of that group it. now. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, who doesn't? I mean, right. who, who doesn't? There's there's all this, these, you know, taboo around sexuality, relationship with yourself, with other people, these stigmas. And I think, you know, you and I were talking before the show and it all kind of roots in this shame idea. Yeah. And I, I love Brene Brown. I talk about her a lot. And um, one of the things that I remember most about her work is that she says that shame cannot exist in the light. So when we talk about these topics, they cannot exist anymore. They require being hidden and repressed. So having these kind of conversations is the key to curing this problem. We just have to talk about it. And then the shame we have around sex will disappear and we'll learn some healthier ways to relate to our sexuality. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about this starts in childhood. I mean, as soon as children develop an idea that they are uh, individuals, they start hiding, you know, start covering their genitals. Uh, you start to be very private. I remember when my kids were about five or six, they started getting dressed and undressed in the closet with the door shut where, mm-hmm. the, you know, the little kids run around naked, right? So yeah. we're born with freedom around our sexuality and, and then we learn to hide it. Right. It's interesting. And then around the time of puberty, I'm 54 and in my age group, I think it's better now. I mean, definitely I handled this better with my teenage girls. 
we didn't even talk about periods or mm-hmm. anything that to do with the Everything vagina. Was hidden. It was a book. You got a pamphlet, or maybe the nurse at school taught you a little bit, but um, nothing was talked about. So, how on earth are we supposed to have an open, beautiful relationship with sexuality when we've been conditioned all of our lives to hide it, and the adults in our life have hidden it and right. made it all such a deep, dark secret? Exactly. And then we get to adulthood. And it's like, poof, you're on your own. Yeah. You're, you're now, like, now, wait, what do I do now? Yeah, go, go make sex wonderful. It's like, how am I supposed to do that when I've never been taught anything? Yeah, that's a lot of pressure. The only thing I've ever learned is that this is a deep, dark secret that you shouldn't talk about with anybody. And mm-hmm. you certainly shouldn't share it with anybody. <laughs> and um, so here we are. And I, I think the younger generation, and I mentioned I have teenagers, have are developing some more openness around it. But I can tell you still, like my 17, 18 year olds are not going to talk to me about sex like mm-hmm. at all. They're like, oh, no, we don't talk about that. Right, right. It's embarrassing. Um, right. Again, goes back to the shame. So yeah, it's all based in shame. There's this funny quote that's in my book and I, um, I can't verify the source, but uh, somebody told it to me and I'm going to tell it to you. There's a, a Texas country music artist, and he is said to have said something like this. Life in my small town of Lubbock, Texas, taught me two things. One is that God loves you and you're going to burn in hell. And the other is that sex is the most awful, filthy thing on earth, and you should save it for the one you love. Ooh, (laughs) that hits home on so many levels. When you said funny, I thought you were going to say it's funny, but I'm like, ooh, that is... That's a different kind of funny. Yeah, that is so true. Everything that you just read. Right. I mean, yeah, sex is awful, filthy, disgusting, hide it. And then you're supposed to get married. And on your wedding night, it's supposed to be this like beautiful, open thing that you can share and be open hearted about and feel great about your body and mm-hmm. have sex with the lights on and tell your partner exactly what you want. And guess what? None of that happens. None of it most happens. People. I mean, I was married too. And I mean, I I didn't wait until I was married to have sex with my ex-husband, but and and I'll openly say that, right? There's mm-hmm. this big stigma around talking about uh, premarital sex, and that stems from something you know. For me personally, I don't even identify with that major aspect of religion anymore, but still, and and I will say this has taken years to really work through. But even that, it's, oh, my gosh, I, I can't say this or I this is bad. This is bad. I'm like, whoa, where did this thought come from? I don't even believe this anymore. But these beliefs that we have from childhood come into adulthood with us unconsciously. Well, I mean, it's still there. We get married in a white dress, which yeah. is, signifies virginity. Mm-hmm. There's all of these uh, little um traditions and a traditional wedding, like taking the garter off, which is to signify, you know, Mm -hmm. releasing your virginity and all this. We all do it, although 99% of people have had sex before marriage, but these cultural things still persist and we're still acting as if this is what we're doing, which I I think is so hilarious. It's funny now that you you bring it up. It's like everybody knows, but we still abide by these old old, even traditions. So just take that tradition that is still there. And and we don't even know that it's 
it's there. It's just there, right? It's just, this is just what we do. Yeah. And it's just conditioning. It's conditioned and our minds are conditioned the same way to where, oh, this is just what I think about sex because this is what I was taught or this is what I know. And then there's really no safe space for us as an adult to, or even as a, as a you know, young adult to really venture out and ask questions without feeling that whoop shame come in. Yeah. And I, I'm a, a so-called sex expert, right? I mean, this is my, how I make a living and I'm watching my young teenagers and we were very open about what it's like to have a period. And we've talked about sex around birth control. I mean, that much, but still I, there's a lot of stuff that we do not talk about. And I've mm-hmm. just sort of thought, they're going to have to figure it out on their own. Where if we could actually sit down and really have a heart-to-heart, I could mm-hmm. help them so much. But that's not going to happen because mm-hmm. they are not open, open to, to hearing about it. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to hear about sex from your mom. I get it. But um, there isn't really a space even for modern teenagers to get this good information. And I know they've got pornography available to them. I know mm-hmm. they're getting all kinds of um, less than accurate information. Oh, yeah, from unlimited online. Are, yeah. Everything, really. Well, I mean, I think because of the shame and the lack of openness of conversation, we get pushed to where this underground sort of material exists. Not that pornography is really even underground anymore, but it's not healthy. Um, you know, it's objectifying women. We know the great majority of both men and women involved in pornography are not there consensually. Either they're addicted to drugs or they need the money or there's mm-hmm. some other reason why they're not really freely making that decision. So it's, it's not a healthy way to learn about sex and none of it's right. real this isn't how real people have sex anyway. right I've, I mean yeah there's some weird things out there <laughs> but there really are if, uh-huh. if that's how you learn about sex you're going to have a very skewed view of what lovemaking is like right so then you know, so you take this you know you haven't talked about sex as a kid you get a little older and then you hear oh you know pornographic things are out there and here's a resource and you're curious about it. That's your natural human instinct to be curious about sex. And you're not going to talk. There's no open, safe space for it. So, okay, let me go into my own little wormhole and try and navigate this crazy world by myself. You end up in this deep, you know, porn wormhole learning and you're, and you're doing this in secret, too, because you don't want anyone else to, to know. So that's shame that's all around more that. Shame. Right. More shame yeah, on top you, of the initial shame that you, you had. So if you're watching that on your computer, you're going to shut it as soon as someone comes. I mean, so the, we're learning about sex, which can be one of the most beautiful, magical things in the world, where we're mm-hmm. really connecting with another person in a kind, compassionate way that, that not only doesn't create harm, but creates more love and generosity and all the good things, but we're learning about it in an environment that's just completely the opposite. So this is what we're starting with. And Mm -hmm. so if you are someone like many of my patients and certainly like I was, um, who feels that tension between like, you know, I really want to have this amazing sex life that's open and free and I want to have sex with the lights on and be comfortable with my body and just all those beautiful things that we imagine but you're not there, you're not alone. No, (laughs) no. There's absolutely nothing that we're being fed that would allow you to get there. I mean, unless you had been as lucky as I was to just spend time with thousands of women who were able to teach me about this. And 
So, so we've got to just talk about it more and realize that the stuff you see on TV, the stuff you see if you watch porn, I mean, very little of that's real. Um, so no wonder there's a disconnect mm-hmm. when we're in the bedroom frequently yeah. with our partners and a lot of shame, a lot of discomfort, a lot of body shame. Um, I was married for, I was with the person I was married to for 18 years and I never told him what I liked. Mm-hmm. Same actually. Because we didn't talk about that. So like the whole entire time I was not getting, I could have said what I wanted cause I knew what it was. But, but I didn't. You, there was a state of embarrassment, right? And it's so crazy because you're with the person at least at the time you think you're going to be together forever. This is my person, right? And it's it's like you can't voice it because can talk about it. You can't even voice it. I think half the battle comes from you can't even voice it to yourself. So if you're not even voicing it to yourself, you're not going to be able to voice it to the other person. You know where. If you haven't sorted it out in your own mind, if you have these recurring beliefs that aren't yours that have now carried over into adulthood, you don't even know what you want. And if you do know what you want and you don't feel good about it because of the shame and the, you know, all the stigmas around whatever it is that you want, then you're not going to feel good about voicing it. I I can tell you, you know, so I I was with my ex-husband for 18 years. (laughs) It's a long time. (laughs) Somebody that you should be able to talk about anything, right? And that is not uncommon. I I have worked with patients who have been married for 40 years, and they've never once talked about the fact that they don't enjoy sex the way it's being offered and could Mm -hmm. be try something different. Because, I mean, there's sort of a point past which it's difficult to cross, right? We've been doing it this way for 15 years. So if I was going to just now tell you that I don't really like it, right. I mean, it's like, it's difficult, but right. the, like, how we, long have you not liked this? Uh, oh, about 14 and a half years. Right. I mean, we have to just be able to just stop and be honest. So that, you mm-hmm. know, we're one of the places that I like to start. And I uh, did a podcast about this a while back is uh, just tell the truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got to be able to tell the truth period, right. In life, but certainly to tell the truth, in the bedroom and almost without exception, that's going to be accepted well, maybe not at first, but in in the long term, it's going to be accepted well Mm -hmm. just to, and if you're in a newer relationship, that's such an amazing opportunity just to start that way, right? just to start that way, especially if it's a fairly new relationship, just to sit down and say, okay, maybe you say in your own head, okay, I'm a person who talks openly about sex. You can sit down with your partner. It's no big deal. You're eating dinner and just say, Hey, you know, I, I really like oral sex. And I, I'd really love to do more of I that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what do you think about that? Yeah. Instead of, you know, what doesn't have to be, you know, I don't like it when you just jump on me and stick your penis in. Yeah. Just, that's that's negative. Coach them into <laughs> what you do want. I'm just thinking about all these scenarios in my mind. You know, we always want to put it positively. So I yeah. really, I really like it when you do X. That's always a great way to start a conversation. And it by inference, that means I don't like it so much when you do the opposite, but People, and I'm heterosexual, so men, I know for sure, but I think this applies to all people, love it when they're told what you like. Like, I That's really true, like yeah. it when you do X. And then they'll do uh, more of it. Right, right. But <laughs> The if, way you want it. So, yeah, it, focus it, on, it's kind of the same thing. Focus on what you do want versus then on what you don't want. Yeah. Because I mean, nobody it, wants, because honestly, if there is this big stigma and shame around sex, and this is for men too, you know, and this is not just for females, but, you know, if, if someone gets told, hey, I don't, you 
you suck at this or you're doing this wrong. Yeah. They're going to already and, shut down on top of this shame that they have too, you know? So why can't that just be a dinner conversation? I mean, what is the big deal about it? Like everyone has this anatomy, right? Everyone yeah. has uh, been given anatomy that allows us to have an orgasm. Why can't we just talk about it? Like it's just going to the bathroom or eating dinner or, you know, the, the natural things that we do. We right. eat, we go to the bathroom, we have sexual feelings these are all normal human things. It should be normal conversations. Yes. Let's normalize that. Right. And so um, I found that that usually goes over fairly well. I've told this Mm -hmm. story before, but this is just an example. For um, years, I wore, like, I like uh, pink kind of, I don't know, flesh colored or white sort of sleep stuff. I like to wear, I I feel comfortable in like silky kind of comfy stuff that's sort of pinky whitey color. Well, turns out my partner hates it. He, he thinks it looks childish and not sexy. He likes the black, oh. you know, corsity stuff. But he didn't want to tell me because that would mean that all this time I'd been wearing something he didn't like. And But finally I found out, and I found out because I was practicing in my own medicine, and I, I tell people to just ask questions like, hey, what do you – so what do you like? Like what yeah. um, What images do you go to in your mind that really turn you on? And so he, he was able to share that um, he really liked – ever since he was uh, went through puberty, the kind of black lacy stuff and the, you know, the push-up or whatever. Anyway, he had his preferences, but I'm like, but I don't wear any of that stuff. <laughs> And here you are, you know, feeling yourself for years and your pinks and your creams and yeah, whites and whatnot. Yeah, I felt good in that. It's like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you have wanted to know earlier? Oh, totally. So I practiced my own medicine, so I had to swallow my, like, um, <laughs> about to start crying. I didn't. I just, I was grateful and was like, hey, you know, what, something fun. Why don't we go online together mm-hmm. and look at some stuff that you like? And I'll tell you, I'm not going to wear something that makes me really uncomfortable, but I'll right. tell you. You can find some things yeah. that you like together. I said it has to be comfy and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. No so, one's sleeping in like this. Yeah, no. You know. I mean, maybe you put it on for, and we have that too. I have stuff that I just put on for a few minutes, but um, so we were able to do that together. So we went online and he showed me some pictures that like really were cool for him. And I was like, yeah, I could do that one. And, um, and so that worked for both of us. And so you can really get a win-win like that. And then similarly, and that's a fun activity to do together. Yeah. And that alone, you know, is it's um, it's something fun to do together. But it's like, oh, wait, this is coming in the mail. And like, yeah, you get to look forward to that. And that whole experience is kind of a, it's a turn on for the both of you. And it's joining you together and it's creating that, you know, link between the two versus total disconnection of. Well, I have no well, clue. I'm no like clue. doing something you do not like every day and you're, you're ashamed to tell me because you don't want to hurt my feelings. And so I'm just going to keep doing it. And then this is terrible, but, and then <laughs> and I hope I'm not alone in this, but I very well could be. Um, they're doing something that you don't like repeatedly. And then they do something that pisses you off. And then that just makes you even more mad. And you don't even do this right. It just makes you more mad, right? Yeah. It's like, no, I have never expressed this out of my own head, right? They haven't had it's a, not fair. They haven't had a chance to <laughs> it's make not fair. it right. Yeah. So I think we need to always word it in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And it certainly gets a little bit more complicated if it, you've been putting up with something you don't like for many, many years. But it, it's absolutely doable. And so I work with women who are, you know, in there, I saw a patient today who was 75. I mean, you can 
still change behaviors. There's no age mm-hmm. at which it's too late to change behaviors. Right. That's a self-limiting belief right there. It's I'm too X to change, right? right? I'm too old. I've been married for too long. I'm too inexperienced to change. Yeah, for sure. Now, on the other side, like I was saying, like if you are in a newer relationship, that is such a great opportunity to start now. things out on the right foot. So how right. do you want to show up in your intimate relationship? And if you decide, and I hope you do, that you want to show up in this intimate relationship, like really transparent and 100% authentic and just t- saying what you want and telling the truth, it's a piece of cake when when it's a new relationship because you haven't set the stage yet. So you right, can just, right. just open it up at the dinner table. Training is a lot easier than untraining. That's right. And you can still do it later. But um, I would suggest just um, just make a dinner table conversation. I mean, they're going to love it. I can promise you it'd be a very unusual situation where somebody who's into you in an intimate way isn't going to be so excited if you said, hey, do you want to uh, talk about like what type of laundry do you like? Yeah. Or what, what type of images really that turn you gonna on? That going to be like, ooh, wait. I get to pick <laughs> or, or maybe you don't even maybe you don't like any lingerie or maybe mm-hmm. or if what image I like that question that I mentioned earlier, like what images do you go mm-hmm. to in That's your good. mind when you're uh, self-stimulating or fantasizing or whatever? Like what what images come to mind and is there a way that I could comfortably incorporate that into our relationship? I would never suggest doing anything that really feels wrong to you. Right. But then, too, having that open conversation now opens you up to new things that you've never thought about. And you might actually really like some of them. And yeah. they, they might be really sexually fulfilling for you. But because you never wanted to talk about it and because, you know, maybe you didn't learn about a lot of a lot of things, you're not even aware of these, but they could be huge for you, too. And now you're open to them. Like, okay, yeah, I'll try it. And you could really like it. And some of it can stay in fantasy world, which is fine. Right. So, <laughs> for example, if you find out that um, he likes to go to an image of uh, having two women with him, but you're in a committed relationship, so that's a boundary that you've drawn. Like, okay, that's not actually going to happen. But we can bring that imaginary person into the room. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I have a Venezuelan waitress who, like, just as a joke, but, like, she can be there sometimes. And <laughs> she's never going to actually be yeah, there. Yeah, it's like the best of both <laughs> worlds. We can't pretend that she's here. <laughs> right. But, but then it makes it sort of a little fun and it's light. Fun. It's not such a, you know, deep, dark secret. But, but that's the thing. It, sex should be fun. Yeah, it's and, supposed and light. to be fun. And there's all these views and and beliefs that just have created this dark cloud over it yeah so it it really doesn't have to be that way um so that's a that's a tip just I mean really it's not that hard like Brene Brown said you know things that are shame based just have to be brought into the light just talk about it Mm -hmm. and so some things should remain in fantasy world I mean certainly some things are not going to be healthy for your relationship but talking about fantasies is great it's fun why not right and then some things can be really real like changing your what you're wearing or changing what you're doing or trying some different um activities that you've never tried before um and you might not like them but maybe you will but and also try them and also know that when you are trying new things you might not like new things so just because you try something that is new and you don't like it don't shut back down and and be turned off to anything else that is new maybe that thing just wasn't for you but 
still be open to trying something else that might work better for you. Yeah. I mean, there's some things I don't want to do. I'll just say no. <laughs> yes. There's, there's and, a couple of firm no's <laughs> over and, on this And I'm too. okay. And I'm okay <laughs> with that. So it's like you, you absolutely don't want to, uh, you know, we want to, when we're talking in coaching, we talk about this all the time, that we do want to push ourselves to the point of discomfort because we want to get outside our comforts. I don't mean physical discomfort, but, you know, mental discomfort so that we're outside our comfort zone because that's where we learn. But there is a point that we don't want to cross when it's this really deeply intimate stuff. Don't do not do something that you just doesn't feel right for you. Right. It's, it's not a matter, and I don't even like to say the word it feels good because there's things that, it's more about does this feel right for me, yeah. right? And if you are going to try something new, have that safe word where you can Quickly mm-hmm. exit a situation and let the your partner know, like, hey, this is not feeling right for me any, anymore. You can devise that exit strategy going into it and create that safe space to where you can feel, make sure you, you do feel comfortable. Yeah. So, I mean, it all comes to just being able to talk. Like, if, if you can have an open conversation about sex and, you know, something I think is so strange and I lived it for years, like, isn't it interesting that we can literally live with someone for 15, 18, 20, 50 years and share every single part of our life with them, yet we're not comfortable talking to them about sex? I mean, mm-hmm. that indicates a real gap, I think, that yeah. we need to look at. Huge gap. Um, so we, we need to be comfortable talking about sex. And that might be in the middle of what we're doing, just saying, let's stop. I, um, let's stop and try something else or whatever. We can't. Um, I've done this myself where I've sort of tolerated something because I just thought it was polite and I didn't like it. I'm like, God, I just, can this just be over? That is really unhealthy for both Mm -hmm. of us because I'm suffering and he thinks I'm having fun. So he's probably going to do it again. Right. Because I haven't said anything. Right. And and knowing and not expecting the other person to read your mind, you know, that's that's huge. And I know I, I've done that plenty of times in the past where this person should know this is how I feel like clearly I wasn't enjoying it or no it's hey have that conversation this is okay this is not okay with me this was good and we're not doing this again you know and they're right so I'll just bring up a topic that is um something that many or most women know about when I talked about telling the truth in bed like one of the ultimate ways that we can be untruthful in the bedroom is faking an orgasm Mm -hmm. And, you know, women are able to do that because there's not such obvious evidence of orgasm in different ways you can fake it. And many of us know about that. That's really, if you think about it, I, I think we have to take responsibility for that. If we're, if we're behaving that way, we're teaching them that we like it. And so right. naturally they're going to do it again. So we're mm-hmm. not sharing any useful information about what we really like. We're just trying to get out of the situation as quickly as we can. And it, it's a, it's a really bad idea. So really, I, I just encourage people to stop doing that. Like it's um, dishonest. Let's, let's mm-hmm. just cut to the chase. It's dishonest. And, you know, we want to be honest and truthful and open. Mm-hmm. It's okay to say, I'm, I'm just not feeling it right now. I'm not going to have an orgasm this time. You know, we've got to be able to have that kind of conversation. Right. Like, I'm, right. I, I'm, I, this is really fun. It feels good, but I'm. Because at the end of the day, your partner does want you to have a good time too. Because yeah. if you have a good time, then you'll want to have more good times. And they feel good. Everyone <laughs> feels feel, good. They, yeah. But there's but, nothing wrong with saying, you know, sex is still great without that being the end point. Um, especially as we get older, you know, that's not always going to be the end point. It's the, it's the act or the intimacy mm-hmm. that gives us that wonderful feeling. And so 
I'm just throwing that out there, like being honest that's, is key. That's a, I never thought about it that way, but it's, it's, that's so true. I am someone who definitely has faked it many times in my life. And I think for me, it came down to this fear of confrontation, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, if I, I mean, Enneagram seven over here, you know, twos, threes, nines, um, sevens, we like, you know what? It's fine. We'll just, you know, be here. But it's just easier to fake it than it is to, again, have a conversation. tell the truth and mm-hmm. have that conversation of, you know, know that that didn't work or this is not what I liked or what can we have done differently to have a different outcome, right? That's uncomfortable to have that conversation. It is. But that's that uncomfortable situation, you know, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone to get a better result next time. Well, it's sort of like giving candy to a baby. It's going to make them stop crying for like a second and then lead to them having, you know, problems with their being overweight or dental problems or something. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good example, <laughs> but it's it's that short-term fix that actually leads to harm. Right, long-term. So it, it gets us out of a short-term uncomfortable situation, and then it gets us in deeper and deeper trouble. So that becomes a recurrent pattern, and we're never going to be able to get what we really need. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the other person's being kept in the dark, and they're not being given the opportunity to give us what we need. Right. So it's actually harming the other person. I'm, right. I'm going to just go big on this. Like if you're faking orgasm, it's dishonest. And it's harming your partner. And so we don't want to do that, mm-hmm. right? Unless it's a one-night stand or not, whatever. Who cares? But yeah. <laughs> if you're planning to continue this relationship. Sometimes you're like, you know what? I'm, yeah. I'm going to. That's the only time you should do it when you're just like, that's okay. I'm never going to see you again. That's fine. But if, right. if you see a relationship. You think you're never going to see him again. And then you see him like the next week. That's right. Oh, hey. But if we want to build a relationship based on trust and honesty, I mean, those are the kind of things that really undermine trust and honesty and actually end up preventing us from getting what we want. Right, right. That is, this is like mind blowing for me. I'm like, oh my God, it's dishonest. And, but yes, you having that uncomfortable situation, hey, what's the lesser of two evils here, right? Mm -hmm. You either have an uncomfortable conversation about, hey, what needs to be tweaked and what can be done differently, or you never have an orgasm for the rest of your life. Right. Which one is worse? Yeah. And uh, you could argue that you're actually being kind because you're doing him a favor by making him feel good. But again, it's like the candy to a baby thing. It's a very short-term fix. And you're also not being kind to yourself. No, it's a short-term fix with long-term bad consequences. So I think Mm -hmm. it generally is not a very good idea unless you plan to not see that person ever again. (laughs) And then it's fine. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) See you later. Right. Just this will be a quick way for you to get out of the room. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's another thing of knowing if it's right. Oh, this is not right. No, I'm right. gonna see you later. Get you out of here quick. Let me let me just wrap this up. <laughs> but you know, going back, to, I said this earlier. Like, I think we also have to move away from the idea that um, there's, there's an endpoint or a goal, and sex has to end in orgasm because it doesn't. And in fact, there's techniques that are used on purpose. Is one called Carezza with a K A R E Z Z A. You can look up um, where intentionally. Um, you don't have an orgasm. It's like a, it's a practice that's done on purpose. Oh, yes. Where you get to the brink of right, it. Right, and, and yeah. don't. And there's some science behind that that you can read about wherever you want to. I have some in my book. But um, the idea is that when you have an orgasm, there's a huge dopamine rush, and it leads you to sort of want to have another one. And it can get you into sort of a craving kind of a cycle. So it's a spiritual practice that uh, is thought to just lead to a more peaceful way of interacting sexually 
where you're not in that constant craving sort of mm -hmm. cycle. Uh, so it, not to say that that's the right thing to do. I'm just saying that there are different ways. There's a lot of different ways to have healthy now, sexual relationships. I had a boyfriend who used to practice that. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing, though. He didn't tell me what he was doing. Oh, yeah. That would be weird. <laughs> so, yeah. So it was very weird. <laughs> so I would advise you, just having been a part of that situation, to clarify that yeah, with yeah. the other it, it really requires both people agreeing this is what we're doing. Yeah. It needs to be a joint decision. <laughs> there was a lot of confusion going on for, for a while. Yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah, I mean, just to say there's not there's not one way to do it. But I think it, when when that's the only goal, it can lead to us feeling like there's something wrong with me or I'm a failure because there's days that I just don't, I'm just not going to have an orgasm. I'm just not feeling it. And that doesn't mean I'm not enjoying it. doesn't mean I don't love right, you. Right, right. It's just, you know, I'm tired or just not happening today. Yeah. It's, it's about, I think, healthy, you know, really healthy connected sex. It's just about the opportunity to connect and be intimate. And if you have an orgasm, great. And if you don't, mm -hmm. that's okay too. So let's talk about that then, that just even the intimacy, right? I ended up learning as an adult. I had an intimacy issue because intimacy and sex are two completely different things. Oh, for sure. But because of this, you know, these stigmas that I had grown up with around sex as a kid, these beliefs I carried into adulthood, it actually ended up resonating as an intimacy issue where I've mentioned this before, but I grew up in a very, very religious household and I'm not going to get too, too far into this, but you know, you you grow up with this thought of you, you have to wait until marriage to have sex. And then it was like, okay, like they, it, I describe it like an onion. You know, you peel off this belief system one layer at a time. Like, okay, well, no, you don't have to wait until you get married to have sex, but then you can have sex with your fiance. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, oh, well, then you can have sex. It's okay if you have sex with your long-term. Someone you love. Someone you mm -hmm. love. And then it, you know, these different layers of the onion keep getting peeled off. And then I realized I was still carrying around this onion with me where I couldn't have sex with anybody. And I, I identified as demisexual, which is you can't have sex with anybody without having that um, emotional connection to them. And I always thought like, oh, I'm demisexual. I, I can't. I was never like a one night stand type person. I just couldn't do that because it just felt wrong to me. That was the belief that I, you know, it was, I was ashamed of that still. And, but here I am. I mean, I'm in my thirties at this point, but I was not able to have sex with somebody and then just have it be like a fun experience, right. A, where we could enjoy each other's company for a short amount of time. I thought, well, no, if you have sex with someone, you have to have this emotional attachment to the person. You have to care about the person. You have to do have make some type of deeper connection to the person. So I ended up, you know, pushing relationships along that never should have been relationships because mm. it was like, hey, no, this was meant for a one-time thing. We had fun together. And that's what this experience in this moment in time was designed for. Whereas I still was carrying around this belief of like, well, no, like I, I should, I should be attached to you, right? Mm. I should, I should, you know, the, the word keeps popping up, yeah. but I should, I should, I should. And it turns into, you know, I, I couldn't break that. Well, I think that all, to me, it feels like that all goes back to these ancient ideas, which are still alive and well today on the planet about women being 
owned, you know, the patriarchy where the man sort of owned the woman. And so you could only have sex in the context of being married. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the man in that sense sort of owned you. And then you can't have sex with anyone else. Or even in some cultures, you're completely covered head to toe in black. So a man can't even look at your face, which, of course, we know still is happening in this day mm-hmm. and age. But we've uh, taken on little bits and pieces of that. And it's alive and well in uh, most religions, you know, especially um certainly Christianity and other religions where there's still that element of, you know, sex being part of marriage is, you know, I think it made sense when sex was just to have babies and, and, you know, we wanted to keep families intact because when we were cave people, that was really important to have an intact family and not to say that it's not important to have an intact family, but those beliefs are all based on some pretty ancient ideas where man owns the woman. Like at that point, the woman is not available for anyone else to look at or touch and, the, you know, so sex has some meaning to to women, especially who grew up with a lot of um, maybe evangelical religious ideas that once we have sex, we belong to that person mm-hmm. and then that's it. And so right. we have to get married and no one else can look at us. And and those are really ancient ideas. Um, so, but it's so, I think it's really great to be aware that we're full of ancient ideas and just mm-hmm. to, just to question them. Or, right. Do I actually believe that I, you know, need to be X, Y, or Z, or is this something that is just instilled in me that I have not cut myself off from yet, right? And replaced with the belief that is actually my own. Yeah. You know, and then just to, I think those ideas made a lot of sense at one time in the past, and now they don't. And so, you know, recognizing a lot of our conditioning did make a lot of sense <laughs> at one point, and and maybe now it doesn't. And I'm not at all saying that intact families are not uh, wonderful, healthy things to have, but, um, you know, no longer are women owned by mm-hmm. men, we right. hope. Um, yeah that there's some equality that's we're approaching as men and women and that um, sexuality can be, you know, part of a relationship without that element of ownership where I have to be attached to you and marry you and all of those things. Right. So if, if you're a female in a heterosexual relationship, then know that speaking up and voicing what you want is, you know, this is an equal partnership. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're not huge. We're not wearing black head to toe. Man doesn't own us just because we have sex with them. And you might say, of course, of course, of course. But just examine maybe yourself in your own mind, like what little part of that might be true. I mean, there's some kernel of truth in there maybe that we still carry where we do feel like um, I've experienced this when I was younger, like sex with someone. And then, you know, you're all of a sudden think you're in love with them and you have to be together forever. And it's like, I don't even really know this person right. that well. Exactly. <laughs> right. And that, that is the exact attachment that I ended up, you know, peeled off some layers of the onion, but carried it into my 30s where it was like, well, no, I, we had sex. I should I should probably like you, right? And it's like, what? Why am I dating these people? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, just let, like, you know, sh- figure out what beliefs are yours. Yeah, I think that's so important to... Just, yeah, stop and listen to those voices and like, mm-hmm. wait a second, like, where is this coming from? And I, you know, I think about, um, you know, there, there, are, there are really serious consequences of having irresponsible sex, like pregnancy and sexually transmitted diseases and mm-hmm. other things. So, you know, we have to go into it with our eyes wide open. But, I mean, I still see situations where maybe a couple of 18-year-olds get pregnant and their parents make them get married. Yeah, Ooh. And they, they've just known each other for two weeks. I mean, oh, my God, That's, could you, like, 
do any more harm. I mean, right. like, that's, that's <laughs> not just, yeah, it's not, not helping. No, <laughs> it's adding really, to the problem really times isn't. 10. So, so yeah, sex is a huge responsibility and, um, is associated with a lot of things like, like mm-hmm. the ones we mentioned, but, uh, we're educated women these days. We've got ways to protect ourselves from unwanted pregnancy and right. sexually and transmitted sharing that diseases. with the younger generation, you know, mm-hmm. if, and if you have a comfortable relationship, you know, daughter, niece or whatever the situation is, but sharing, you know, being, first of all, start always, you know, starting with yourself, but start with yourself, be open about sex and what you like and what you don't like and what you believe and what you don't believe with yourself. And then mm-hmm. you can share that with your partner if you have one. And But being open about it and really teaching the younger generation, hey, so they don't have to untrain themselves in their 30s or 40s or 50s. You know, yeah, wouldn't that be great? Like if you could go back great. in time and just be wise and open about sex when you were 18. And teach teach <laughs> the younger generation great. to not be ashamed of it. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's a penis. It's a vagina. Yeah. This is a period. I got a book uh, thrown onto my bed. My right. mom was like, here, figure it out. I'm like, what? <laughs> what am I doing? Yeah, we for, didn't have internet back then. So no, I mean, God. and women, you know, please like learn about your clitoris and, and you probably want to learn about that by yourself. A lot of us don't even know where it is or the extent of its anatomy, which is yes. much, much bigger than that little tiny Do- piece that Dr. you Dr. Susan showed me the anatomy of a clitoris. And this is like, I think last year sometime. And I was shocked. <laughs> I was 34 years old. I was shocked and I, had and I was no a gynecologist. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? Yeah. Oh my God, you're kidding me. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Then you can understand it more. And then, mm-hmm. you know, knowledge is power. <laughs> yeah. So so understanding understanding your own body and that might and I probably inevitably involve some just self-exploration when you're on your own. So find out about your clitoris, figure out what makes you feel good. And you might be more comfortable doing that on your own and then learn the language around it on your own so that you can talk about it with no more shame than you could talk about what you like to eat. Right. I mean, and it'll be weird at first. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be this magic, you know, button that gets flipped on like, oh, now all of a sudden I can talk about sex openly or I can talk about anything around sex openly, but it's going to take some time. And that's fine, you know, establish one of my friends, they've been married for about 10 years. Um, They have a weekly check-in. I think it's on Sunday nights and they check in, hey, this is how the week went. This is how I was feeling. You know, how are you feeling? And and I don't know if they have a sexual check-in too, but I was just thinking, hey, something like that, like a weekly check-in where you know it's coming Mm -hmm. and you you know you're going to talk about it. And you're not surprising anybody or catching anybody off guard, but you can add that into that conversation of like, hey, maybe we should experiment and try this this week. There's some really good studies. This might sound obvious, but there's some scientific studies that prove that couples who talk about sex more have better sex, more sex and better sex. And that makes perfect sense Mm because they've obviously been able to describe what they want and what they like and what they don't like and develop that level of honesty with each other. But yeah, just say, hey, um, let's let's talk about sex. So h- how's it been this week? Or what, you know, what would you like to do? Like what, what you know, what would you, mm-hmm. you know, like I was saying, let's look at some pictures or what, what would be fun to try that's different. But with that level of just no big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, it's the, the bigger deal that we make it. Of course, we're dealing with another human being here who's also suffering with shame mm-hmm. and all of the things that we are. And we sometimes forget that. I know we can forget that men are have a whole different set of worries if we're in a heterosexual relationship. The stuff that we worry about, totally different. They're worrying about maybe their penis is too small or maybe their hair is too thin or that they come too quickly or take or the opposite or there's a they're, whole other list of worries. They're, they're worrying about their own stuff. But I promise. And uh, understanding that whoever you're in a relationship with, whether it be um, heterosexual, homosexual, um, the other person or people, um, they're humans too. It's another fragile human being and they've got their whole own set of shame and fear and worries mm-hmm. and experiences. And so, you know, we, we want to tread lightly, but I've found that Opening that conversation, I mean, usually, and I'll just be sexist here because I can't, I'm a woman. Women often have to be the ones that go first. I think um, it's fair to say that men are less likely to make that first step. So if we want to make it better, we're probably going to be the instigators Mm -hmm. of that conversation. We can do that. We can do that. Yeah. Yeah, So so go first. Uh, Someone has to go first. But if we open that conversation and, and taking in very carefully that we're dealing with another fragile human being with their own Mm -hmm. set of fears and shame and everything else, it's almost always going to go over really well. Uh, Almost always. And I would say if it doesn't, and that might be a person that you need to renegotiate your relationship with because someone that doesn't want to hear your truth is probably someone I don't want to be intimately involved with Mm -hmm. long-term. Not recommending that you get divorced or anything, but we we need to work on that. Yeah, it might not be... You, you might need some guidance and there's, there's people, there's professions out there. There's sexual counselors mm-hmm. who can help you. Yeah. And Sometimes it's really hard to stuff read. to talk about. Dr. Susan's book, Sexually Woke with Dr. Susan, you know? And this is a whole nother topic, but you know, <clears throat> it's, there's often trauma involved in stuff that's really, really deep. Mm-hmm. That makes it very difficult for us to have these conversations. So if you are someone who has a lot of trauma or any trauma around sex, it's going to be way more difficult. Right. And that is something that you, you want to seek help with. Um, but there's, you can get through it. There's not a person who doesn't have the possibility of having an amazingly fulfilling sex life. Um, and it just starts with talking about it. It starts with just opening the conversation. Right, right. Talk about it with yourself first. And if you need to journal about it or just spend time with your own thoughts, start there. And then, you know, we can't expect anybody else to do things that we're not doing ourselves to. So start there. Talk just with yourself, right? Figure out where you might feel shame around sex and where it might stem from a little bit. Start to figure out, you know, what you like, what you don't like, why, mm-hmm. right? And and start there and then take it out to your partner, whoever it is. And yeah. Start if, that conversation. If you have one and you don't have to have a, you don't have to have a partner to have a great sex life. So that's important if you're feeling like, oh, this doesn't apply to me because I'm single. That's a great time to start exploring this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Know what you like. Come to the table the next time you, you know, are in that situation, knowing what you like and what you don't like. Yeah. I think that's great advice. So, yeah, just uh, shame cannot exist in the light. I love that. I love that. I love Brene Brown so much. Yeah, and I love, love you, her. Dr. Susan, so much, too. You always have so much wisdom to share with everybody. So um, if our listeners just absolutely love you, how can they find you? 
So everything I do is on my website, drsusan.com. It's D-R-S-U-S-A-N.com. And that'll lead you to my practice, blog, YouTube, all of the fun stuff. And um, can't wait to interact with you on any of those platforms. Yes. She's very interactive on Instagram. Her Instagram is filled with tips and tricks and all the things. And then how can we get your book? So Sexually Woke is on Amazon. It's um, a book you can read or it's also an audio book. You would get to listen to me talking for eight hours at you. <laughs> yeah, um, that sounds pretty nice. It's like a long <laughs> podcast, you know? <laughs> like a really long. So um, it's on Amazon. So yeah, great. go get it. I would love for you to read it. It's a great book. I've read it. And you quote me in it too. I do. I do quote <laughs> Megan in it. So check that but, page out. Yeah. So check out Sexually Woke uh, by Dr. Susan Hardwick-Smith. And Dr. Susan will definitely be a guest on the show again. I always love having you on. Um, we always talk about the best things. We but, do. Can't wait. And Dr. Susan and I both, we believe that you can create your life, that you can create your fate. So be sure to check her out. And that's all we have for you today. But if we could leave you with just one thing, it would be this. Expect, Expect good, good things, things always, always and, and they, they will, will happen. happen. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll talk to you all soon.